0: This podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas,
1: shaping policy. Okay, so thank you so much, everyone, for joining. Um, such a big crowd in here. I mean, we, we had our last uh, meeting of the YPN in December, but I mean, I don't think I've ever seen uh, a crowd this size. I was beginning to wonder uh, when I sent out the invitation, Bertie, for this event, and it filled up in two days where we had a, an IAA meeting or a 2005 uh, Fianna fail but it certainly... Uh, Certainly looks like a Fianna all here this evening, but um, thank you so much to, to everyone who's come. Um, I sent out the invitation to, to Bertie for this event here tonight because uh, I read a poll uh, in the Sunday Times in November, uh, which said that 50% of young people, so those people between the ages of uh, 18 to 24, uh, felt that they did not fully understand the history of the Troubles, um, which struck me as, as quite a large figure um, and something that I think very important for us as young people to uh, not only remember what happened, but also that we don't forget what happened. Um, And discussions like these here this evening uh, and other discussions that are taking place as part of the commemorations, I think are very important in achieving that. Um, The Good Friday Agreement, which was negotiated in 1998, the 10th of April, 1998, uh, marked the beginning of a lasting peace uh, in Ireland and Northern Ireland. Um, It was negotiated by Bertie Ahern on behalf of the Irish government, Uh, Tony Blair on behalf of the British government, and the eight political parties in in Northern Ireland who participated in the talks, um, and without which I I think many uh, thousands of people may not be here today, so it's important uh, to mark the discussion and to do it uh, respectfully here today as well. Um, Just a bit of housekeeping before we get started, Um, so Bertie's going to speak to us for approximately 15 minutes, uh, after which time we'll go to discussion and Q&A with the audience. Uh, for those of you in person, if you'd like to take part in the discussion, please feel free to raise your hand and I'll come to you throughout the discussion. Uh, for those of you on Zoom, uh, maybe just, just first of all to say I'm sorry that you can't be here this evening. Um, sorry uh, sorry that you can't be here this evening, uh, just in light of the, the capacity issues here today, uh, but I hope that we'll be able to, to welcome you to another discussion in the future. So um, for any of you who'd like to contribute to the discussion as well, uh, please feel free to participate on Twitter using the hashtag at And um, So without further ado, I'll, I'll introduce Bertie and then we we'll get started. Um, Bertie Ahern, who I'm sure you all know, um, served as Taoiseach of Ireland from 1997 to 2008, uh, leading Fianna Fáil into government on three successive occasions in 1997, 2002 and 2007. Amongst other roles, he previously served as Taunashta, or Deputy Prime Minister of Ireland, Minister for Finance, Minister for Labour, Minister for Industry and Commerce, Minister for Arts, Culture and the Gwailtuk, and the Lord Mayor of Dublin, and he was a Dola for Dublin Central from 1977 to 2011, so I guess you could say Bertie is welcoming us here today in Dublin Central, uh, given this was his old uh, stomping ground. So, without further ado, Bertie, over to you.
0: Well, thank you very much, Chairman, and Director General, Alex White. Uh, It's great to be here again. I've been always fond memories of this building. We've had so many debates and discussions, usually about uh, European constitutional issues and and the European Constitution, the various referenda uh, over the years. Chairman has given me the task of giving uh, 800 years of history in 15 minutes. So uh, uh, we'll skip the first 750 and, and we'll try and bring it down to more modern times i suppose to talk about the troubles and you know we, we wanted tonight to try and move it on from the, the troubles into where we are now and hopefully where we'll be as as you all move through your various careers uh successfully um and, and see how the change in ireland works but i suppose it, it's it's worth saying there's a lot of debate and it's not i think just young people internationally there's huge interest Uh, in in the Irish peace process um, because I suppose a lot of peace processes haven't really worked. Um, I think our one has partially worked. Uh, The peace has ended up very successfully. The political side, as you see, jitters on um, continually. But a lot of people think that the start of the Troubles was mainly around uh, the United Ireland, around the border. It it wasn't that at all. I mean, what happened was and there had been a, an IRA campaign. I'm gonna move quickly through this period because it's 15 minutes, but there'd been an IRA campaign on 56 to 62. That campaign was mainly a campaign um by by Southern people, mainly those of you who listen to ballots are Sean South or Gary Owen, who is from Limerick. Uh, so it tended to be a um a Southern group fighting on the border. And uh, and that when that ended up, the Republican movement were moving into really what should they be doing? And Sinn Féin, who were down the road in those days, were deciding where they where they should go and what should they should do. There was some lawless violence in 65, 66, 67, but the troubles really came out of um, the civil rights movement in the North, which had nothing to do with United Ireland or a border poll or anything else. Uh, it was based on what was going on in America and France at the time, mainly in Paris, around equality. Uh, and uh, around fairness in society, and the issues in the north were housing because it was total discrimination against nationalists. Uh, it it was um, around the gerrymandering of constituencies. Probably best described it, of how it worked in Derry, where there were six constituencies. Um, the nationalists had a majority and five sort of were all pushed into one, and the unionist majority in Derry. Uh, it was good if you could get away with it, and. And that, that, that lasted for, for only a, uh, a short while. And uh, people like John Hume and Austin Curry and Eddie McGrady and Paddy Devlin, the people who formed it, uh, the SDLP were all really fighting you know labor and, and social lines. Uh, and it was only the reaction of the storm and administration unionist dominated, uh, who had almost got separated from the rest of the United Kingdom. And they used physical force against the civil rights movement, against uh, predominantly nationalists who were fighting these, but not only nationalists. Uh, and that embittered people. The Republican movement was, was weak at the time, which was the o- official uh, Sinn Féin, as, as it became known afterwards. Um, they, they splintered and the IRA went into the official IRA and provisional IRA and then the trouble started but it it didn't grow out of that it grew out of the civil rights movement the 70s were just a nightmare a huge amount of people killed bombing um you know you know the the stats I mean, 3721 people died in in the troubles about 28000 people were seriously injured um and if you add in shootings and bombs it was about 50000 it was a few billion pounds worth of damage so it it, it followed the track from the 70s and it just got worse every year. The figures, if you look back at them now, were horrendous in, in the early 70s. Um, and it, it was one effort to, to try and bring some solution around 1974 or something. That, uh, that failed because the uh, Protestant Ulster Workers' Strike brought down the regime. 300,000 people went to strike. And Northern and Hearth isn't a big place, so they brought down the, the whole place. Then we moved on into the 80s. Uh, the 80s was the hunger strike um, where the republican movement got very strong in the north, and the IRA got very strong in the uh, in the north, and uh, the I- provisional IRA had four hundred members in Derry at one stage at, at the at the height of the, of the troubles, um, and then there was another attempt made in nineteen eighty five, the Anglo Irish Agreement. Uh, I take nothing from the people that were involved, either from the Irish government or British government. They worked really hard in those two agreements in seventy four and Sundaydale and eighty five. Um, unfortunately, both of them collapsed. Um, not always for the same reason, but uh, it, it, they, they collapsed. And we might come back to that if, if you're interested later. And um, then we went through the rest of the 80s. After the Enniskillen bombing, where the IRA uh, blew up, the Senate panel up in, in in Enniskillen. And, and there was a horrendous case. Uh, not too many of us in the room would remember that. You and I do, Alex, but uh, where. where you know, there was a father um, and he was lying in the rubble and holding the hand of his daughter, who was a nurse, and he relayed an RTE and several programs afterwards, just the last moments. And it it had a huge, it had a huge effect on the population, uh, north and south, because people said this is just horrendous. And it was a, it was a human story. And, it, you know, if you ever listen back to some of those interviews on YouTube or, and um, you just realize how horrendous it was that led the IRA to start to wonder, was there another way of doing things? And what promoted that was the Redemptorist Order in Clonard in Belfast. Father Jerry Reynolds and Father Alex Reed, two priests, um, started reaching out to the IRA. They knew who they were um, and they started reaching out to the other groups as well. And that started off um, the, the peace process. Moving quickly into the 90s, in 91, 92, uh, there was uh, all-party talks, excluding Sinn Féin. Um, that didn't solve a lot, but what it did was it at least got the parties in the North to say what they were in favour of rather than what they're against. Parties in Northern Ireland are absolutely Olympic gold medalists when it comes to saying what they're against. Um, they're, not, they're not quite, as, as, as um, Blahuluk has explained, what they're what they're for. But that 91 92 effort did that. Um, that was used as the basis by Albert Reynolds in 93 uh, to bring people together, to see if they could put in one document what the aspirations of everybody was, and to see if there was a peaceful means how you could do that. Um, the, it's always worth the read, I think, of the Downstreet Declaration. Uh, for two reasons one it's a masterpiece a lot of people were about 40 people involved in in, uh, and they were from Catholic Protestant and the center uh, involved in that document but it's chairman it's very useful because it's very short you read it in 10 minutes Um, and that formed the basis for the IRA ceasefire in August 94 and for the Lila ceasefire in October 1994 went into 95 was a bad year because the British as they they tend to do um, kicked the ball over the bar instead of into the net uh, and they they started saying well Sinn Féin can't get into the talks um, unless there's decommissioning the of arms which was a lost cause at the time uh, so in 95 there was this thing called Washington Tree which was agreed by Sir Patrick May who, who was Secretary of State um, we fell a bit into the trap of a, a, agreeing to that at the time which we shouldn't have and then we went into 96 the ceasefires broke down And then um, nothing happened in 96. Uh, There was, was, well, there was Canary Wharf, caused 3 billion worth of damage in the centre of London and a half a billion in in bombing in in, in Manchester. Huge, huge, huge damage. Also, deaths again happened, not a huge amount, but in in the north. So um, that brings us to 97, where uh, the change of administrations, uh, Tony Blair and I had been working in 95 and 96, saying that if we were in government, um, what, what we could do and how we would challenge it. And the plan was fairly simple. One, that he would have to reassure unionists uh, because there'd been a Labour, the Labour had been out of government for 16 years, had been Thatcher and Major. Uh, major was a good guy, but he, he had very little power. He was humstrung by uh, needing support um, from, from both right-wing unionists and right wing conservatives and he, he just wasn't able to do what he wanted to do so um, Tony Blair it was clear he was going to get a very big mandate at that time, it wasn't so clear I was going to get because our electoral system was also going to be tight uh, so we said he assures the unionists, I try and convince the Sinn Féin to convince the IRA to get back, um, a big part of that was again was Father Alex Reid and the Redemptorists, they, they played a huge uh, part in a lot of that we'd all kind of back channels all kind of secret negotiations going on to try and... Anyway, we got there. And then in September, the deal was that if we got that done, we'd get Sinn Féin into the talks for the very first time. Sinn Féin had never been involved in the previous talks in any of them, 74, 85, 91, 92. So at that stage, um, they were into the talks. And um, the reason you often hear me in the radio defending the Unionist and David Trimble, and it's for this reason, which isn't always understood when the talk started in September uh, of 1997, um, it, once we said Sinn Féin were coming in, the DUP walked out and so did the UK union, a small part, but a very vocal, vocal people and they had a lot of legal people uh, who were very good at uh, starting the, the muck uh, and, and causing major confusion. So um it, once they walked out it was thought that david trimble would also walk out but he didn't um and we convinced the two loyalist parties davy irvine pup michael um uh uh, uh no no, no the udp mm, gary mcmichael gary mcmichael of udp uh to to stay in the talk so uh, once that happened, it gave David Trimble cover, and David Trimble stayed in the talks to his eternal credit. Because if he went out that time, there was going to be no no run into the Good Friday Agreement. So between September 97 and uh, Easter 98, um, that's where the Good Friday Agreement was born. That's where the talks took place. Huge range of issues, and I just mentioned them all in, 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 in one block. One that was setting up the institutions, the executive. Uh, uh, set, setting up the assembly in the north, the north-south bodies which was the Irish government uh, and the northern Ireland executive, east-west British government, the Irish government and then the range of problems that were there prisoners, release of prisoners there was never going to be a deal neither loyalists or Republicans were going to agree to a deal that didn't deal with the prisoners issue so uh, the deal was we released all prisoners within two years on license if they reoffend, they they served a their existing sentence and whatever new sentence they're in. The reform of the old police service, the RUC, into what is now PSNI, which is finally thought of. The decommission of arms, which took five years to, to resolve and setting up the International Commission on decommissioning. Uh, the parity of esteem, which kind of equaled the quality legislation, which was removing all the draconian legislation that had been on the statute book in the North. People always say for the last, for the previous 25 years, but most of it was on since 1920, since the Government of Iron Act of 1920. So um, the demilitarization of the north, the soldiers back to barracks, the taking down of the watchtowers, there were these huge watchtowers right across the border. So whenever anyone went north to south, south to the north, they were picked up, you're picked up in your car, your conversation was picked up. And uh, they were also watching the helicopters, uh, watching over the border county. So all of those issues were taken um, and fairly well resolved. I mean, the the one area of the Good Friday Agreement uh, that that has been a disappointment is the stop-start nature of the institutions. The fact that because everything is based on cross-community consent, meaning that everybody has to agree, um, if, if somebody gets out the wrong side of the bed, they can bring down the institutions. And that's what's happened three or four times. The British government brought it down once when we had this thing called Storming Gate, which was another nonsense. Um, turned out to be bogus. Um uh it was set up. Um now we better not go into who set it up to be here all night, but it was it it it, it was set, set up uh, later on then um, Sinn Fein brought it down over cash for ash, which again had nothing really to do with the good friday agreement and then it was brought down over brexit i suppose moving quickly uh, German, because you're probably telling me time is near you brexit has been just a disaster you know my view on brexit you've heard me enough at times it was just a stupid thing for the british people to do uh, that's my view they have a different view that's they're entitled to that um but they re- regret it for a long time to come uh and they are regretting it i think every day it's good to see that a lot of them changed their attitude. Um, I, I think it it, it happened because uh, Cameron made two fundamental mistakes and not happen, and not putting in having a referendum as one of those, but he rushed it. He had another year to wait and he could have waited and that would have given, I think, public opinion a chance to take a, a very different view. Uh, and the second issue that uh, he, he didn't get a real campaign going within his, his party. Uh, and Corbyn, of course, was a disaster. Corbyn made one speech. In, in favor uh, or against uh, Brexit in the whole campaign. And Labour should have been fighting the issues, the social justice issues uh, and, and all of the issues. But Corbyn w- was really anti-Europe anyway. Uh, and in, in my view, was useless in every way. But anyway, um, he'd probably say the same about me. So uh, so um, there, we, there, 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 there we go. We have to deal with Brexit. And all the current issues that we've had, all the stuff that you've had to listen to in the period you do remember in your life uh, about the about the backstop and the, the protocol uh, and now the Windsor Agreement all have came out of Brexit. Uh, if it wasn't for Brexit, we wouldn't have got any of that stuff. It, I think the island of Ireland and politically where we had cross-community support down here and cross-party support, we didn't have to any longer talk about border checkpoints or, you know, uh, items coming into the north and, and where they where they are going to want to the south so all of these complications all arose out, out of brexit and all the instability that we've had in the last seven years has come out of brexit uh it's caused us a, a nightmare uh, in lots of ways hopefully we'll get through it um and now just in the last few sentences where we are now um i'm still hopeful hopeful uh, it's always difficult in the north that even though the DUP will vote against um, uh, the Windsor Agreement uh, today or tomorrow, um, uh, I still think there's room to resolve the, these issues. There, they, the the issue is this, it's a bit stupid, but many of you here are good minds. Um, there's still about 3%, well, one side say 3, the other say 5, but anyway, so let's say 5. There's still about 5% uh, of legislation or acts that would come into Northern Ireland that would be still European. Um, The DUP don't want anything to do with Europe coming directly from Europe to the North. They would be happy if they're codified through EU law or EU legislation. Um, uh, My own view, I'm not across every last line of detail of this, though I do take a a close sign. I do think it's worth doing that and trying to see if there's a solution to that, um, because if you don't, we're into the the issue uh, that 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 director general here and I would would not want to be going down the, the road of joint authority, uh, um or um, the joint authority won't be accepted by the British, and 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 we're not going to accept that. Uh, you're going to have direct rule again, so you get into an awful mess and we'd all be at each other's throats again for the next 10 years. So I think it's far better they try and resolve this around the Windsor Agreement. Um, I, I was in London last week. I was up north a few days last week. Rishi Sunak um has put a lot of effort into this. He's put a huge amount of effort. Uh Boris was a disaster, as you all know. Um, but, but Rishi Sunak has genuinely worked really, really hard to find a solution. Uh, and I think... It would be terrible if we turn them off uh, and if the loyalists and the unions turn them off. There's a lot of effort being made as late as a few hours ago um, to try and see if they can find a way of codifying uh, these laws uh, through the UK rather than directly from Brussels to Northern Ireland. The argument is, is, is simple enough from a unionist point of view, um, as has been described by Geoffrey by Donaldson and just giving you what he says. He said it is entirely unreasonable um, for the Stormont executive uh, to, to have to deal with issues where they have nobody in Brussels, where it's total diktat from Brussels, and that they have no say, and that is put on top of them. Uh, the Stormont break, um, uh, he says, is useless. Uh, I half agree with him on that, because the Stormont break won't really work. It'll be used as a veto. Uh, and even if Jeffrey Donaldson was Deputy First Minister, he didn't want to change... Norman break Jim Allister and some of the extremes will be saying, oh, pull out the executive because you're not getting your way. So um, he, he has a point, and, and I think that has to be hopefully dealt with in the next few weeks. If we get over that, this word where Jews all want to hear. This is where we get over all of the history of that. Northern Ireland is in a brilliant position. As I've said, it's the best three-card trick um, that it will have worked. Northern Ireland will have the island economy Uh, They'll have the UK economy um, and they'll have the European connection. I mean, it is an extraordinary, there's several analysis being done by several companies. Some of you might be stock markets or uh, uh, um, stock companies or accountancy companies, but they're, they're, uh, IBEC have done very good work on this chamber of commerce of Ireland. have done good work. All show, The major benefits for Northern Ireland and for the island economy, but particularly for Northern Ireland, Joe Biden, when he gets here, if this stuff is sorted out, you know, has already committed himself uh, to putting a Kennedy in charge of an economic uh, movement to try and get more investment to the north. So it couldn't be better for the north. Um, um, And you'd say, well, surely they must all see that, but we still have to deal with the old identity issue. Um, And and, and I met a loyalist group recently, and, you know, I I just relayed what they said. One of the leaders and one of the senior former paramilitary said to me, he said, Bertie, but, you know, I know you guys are trying, but you have to remember, you know, jobs, investment, innovation, you know, new factory buildings. But that doesn't help my Britishness. I'm British. My father was British. My mother was British. My grandfather was British. That means more to me. So you're not going to sell to me a great economy uh, and jobs for the future to take away my Britishness. And, you know, all you can do is look at them and say cheers. But, but you know, it, 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 I'm just giving you the alternative view. Uh, and, and we have to understand that alternative view. Um, but the Good Friday Agreement is that you can be British, you can be Irish, you can be both. Uh, but uh, anything, anything that dilutes the Britishness, they have a fear. And so have a lot of the politicians. So a lot of the politicians who we disagree with in the union side have that fear. And they, they think that the border poll and they think it's all a trick. And they think, you know, Sinn Féin will come into power and, you know, that, that they, they'll be caught on, on all of this. And so you have to go through all these scenarios. By the way, I think most of it is all rubbish, but you, you have to, I'm giving you the viewpoint of people who passionately believe in it. Um, uh, I I don't think that's the way the future is going to work out, but if if it's handled right, uh, and if we can make the progress, I think Northern Ireland can really flourish, and it will help the island of Ireland. It'll help our image abroad. Um, I I offered David Trimble twenty five years ago this very week that we would amalgamate the IDA and invest in Northern Ireland as we did with the tourist boards. Uh, he 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 saw the sense of it, but couldn't. Couldn't do it because he couldn't sell it to 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 his unionist party at that stage, the ultra Unionist Party. So there, you know, there there are these difficulties. But if we were to if we were to move on from where we are now successfully, I think the Northern Ireland will dramatically expand and grow in employment terms. They'll stop the brain drain out of it Two-thirds of graduates from Northern Ireland still emigrate um emigrate for college. Uh, and then they'll come back, uh, which is a huge loss to, to, to Northern Ireland. Uh, so I, I think if we can deal with these issues, it will have a great future. So, Chairman, that all is in a mouthful. How, many, how long did that took?
1: About 20 minutes, so you weren't too bad.
0: <laughs> now, going we'll to take questions. Pretty, thank you so take much for doing
1: Thank you. Thank you <clears throat> this podcast is brought to you by the IIEA, sharing ideas,
0: shaping policy.